You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles together this morning. The scripture reading as well as the text this morning is taken from Revelation chapter 19. We then continue our series of sermons this morning on the book of Revelation, and we have come to chapter 19. There the word of our God reads as follows, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of a rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding feast or the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angels said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war, his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. Then I saw the beast And the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured 
and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, sometimes the going is tough. And what do I mean? Well, I mean that there are days and weeks when life is tough to handle and deal with. I'm thinking in that regard of what has been happening in our congregation over these past weeks. We've had one case of sickness after another, one operation after another, one hospital stay after another, one bad news story after another. And we're still not out of the woods, so to speak, by any means. Consider only Rachel Vanderhorst and Matt Luton. You need only look at the prayer list. Now, in some ways, the same can be said of this part of the book of Revelation. In many respects, the chapters 16 to 18 have been tough slugging as well. In them, you find a lot about wrath, punishment, judgment, and woe. People, creation, the great prostitute, the beast, Babylon, have all been on the receiving end of God's displeasure. So here in the book of Revelation, the going has been tough too. Yes, and I would remind you that it became really tough in chapter 18. For what we find described there is the final destiny of the wicked. And it's a destiny captured in some ways by a refrain or an expression, never or ever again. Look at the verses 21 and following of chapter 18. With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be found in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Clearly, there is a finality to God's judgment. At last and forever, the beast, the great prostitute, the godless city, and all the enemies of God and of his people are going to be dealt with in a most decisive, complete, and final fashion. They will never, ever, ever rise again. But then, beloved, if the going in life is often tough, and if it's also tough slugging here in the book of Revelation, it doesn't remain that way. For while there has been a lot of bad news, there are also some signs of good news. Also among us, better than expected recoveries, good test results, steady unexpected improvements. 
And the same, you might say, the same development applies in the book of Revelation, for after the bad news, there is good news. And indeed, there is startling and awesome good news. Following hard on the heels of the final destruction of the wicked comes now the news of the final destiny of the saints. Chapter 18 is followed by chapter 19. And what a chapter it is. Let's look at it closely together this morning. I preached to you on the theme, Heaven Reveals the Victory of God. We're going to look at a great celebration, a glorious warrior, and a gruesome supper. Well, beloved, as we come to chapter 19, the first thing to note is that we are now, so to speak, in heaven. All of the previous chapters, 15 to 18, took place on earth, but but now the scene begins to shift. Verse 1 describes what John heard in heaven. Verse 4 deals with heaven's throne, you can read. Verse 1 to 6 tell us about heaven's multitude. And so it continues on in this particular chapter. Here we are, so to speak, in heaven, as it were. But here we are not just in heaven, we are also, notice, in a very noisy heaven as well. In verse 1, John writes, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude. And in verse 6, the volume goes up even more. For there, John writes, Then I heard what sounded like a, a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder. So if you think that heaven is all peace and tranquility, you obviously need to think again. It can get very noisy up there. It can be loud. It can be roaring. It can be filled with indescribable tumult. And so what's going on? Well, it's, you can say, celebration time in heaven. And indeed, heaven is filled with hallelujah choruses. Four times in the verses 1, 3, 4, and 6, we hear the exclamation, hallelujah. And you know what that word means? Hallelujah is the transliteration of the Hebrew words, praise Yahweh. You can find it often in the book of Psalms. You find it, too, in tabernacle and temple worship. But, but most of all, you find it in Revelation and you find it in heaven. Heaven is filled with hallelujahs. The praise of God is to be found everywhere in heaven. But why? Why this praise? Is it because the beast and the prostitute, because Babylon, which we heard about last time, because all of those who are evil and who are allied to evil have finally gotten what they deserve? Is there a kind of sadistic happiness now in heaven? Are all those saints in heaven and all those angels there gloating? Now look closely. Those above are honoring God. Verse 1 says that they were shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. 
And verse 5 describes a voice from the throne urging everyone on to praise. Praise our God, all you as servants, you who fear him, both small and great. So what are they honoring and praising God about? Are they praising him about his love, his faithfulness, his mercy? No, look closely. They are praising him about his judgment. Verse 2. For true and just are his judgments. And then it elaborates. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And consider also the words of verse 3. Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And those words are taken from Isaiah 34 and they refer to the smoke of judgment and destruction. So, beloved, here our God is being praised over and over again. He is being praised with a roar and the noise is deafening. And why? Because our God is true and just when it comes to his judgments. Now, maybe that catches you off guard. And maybe that even upsets you. There are many who profess Christ today who believe in happy, clappy religion. They love to speak about salvation. They love to sing about salvation. Their hearts are full of salvation. And and I can understand that and I can even relate to that. But nevertheless, we, we need to realize very well that there can be no salvation without judgment. We may not like the nasty stuff. We may not appreciate what John writes about wrath, destruction, judgment, and and fire, but it is necessary for salvation to flourish. Sin has to be dealt with. And so does evil and corruption and blasphemy and slander. And persecution, and injustice, and cursing, and rebellion. For salvation to flourish, judgment has to come to the great prostitute, to the beast, to Satan, and to all the forces of evil. So realize that in all of these matters, God's justice, faithfulness, and honor are at stake. Picture it through the eyes of those persecuted saints of long ago. Those saints to whom this book was written in the first place. Here they they and their loved ones are being led off to the slaughter. And as they are being led off, they are full of the conviction. But God will vindicate us. One day God will deal with all of these injustices done with us and to us. He will right the wrongs. So is God true to his word? Who triumphs in the end? Does God or devil? Does good or evil? Do the mockers 
for the saints. Just who has the last word? My beloved, here in Revelation 19, John declares that God, our God, has the last word. That His judgments are just and true. That His judgments are sure and certain. Hallelujah! Sing the angels and the saints. But then notice something else as well. That last... And that fourth hallelujah in verse 6 is closely connected to something special. And to what is it connected? Well, it's connected to a wedding. John quotes, the multitude is shouting, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, of course, that raises some more questions, doesn't it? What does judgment have to do with a wedding? And why are the multitudes in heaven so giddy and agog about a wedding? Well, the reason is this. A wedding, and especially this wedding of the Lamb, is an illustration. It illustrates the final word. It illustrates the climax. It it illustrates the consummation of all things. Look at it this way. Eastern weddings usually happened in stages. First, there came the betrothal, which we tend to call the engagement, but it was so much more than that, because the betrothal is a big deal. It's almost like the wedding itself. It's binding, spells absolute commitment. It means you're in covenant together, that bride and groom are legally tied together, And after the betrothal, after that first big event, there comes the waiting. And the preparations for the big wedding feast. And sometimes it takes a while. Lots of planning, sorting, discussing, arguing, ordering. Remember, the festivities would often last at least a week, if not longer. And that always involves a lot of work. Now, all of this Eastern wedding stuff serves as the background to the wedding of the Lamb here in Revelation. Scripture says that Christ and his bride, his church, are betrothed. They are already bride and bridegroom. But then there follows this interval of preparation. And during that interval, the church often asks, how long? How long before the wedding feast? How long do we still have to wait? Well, here's the answer. Once the beast devours the prostitute, as we saw last time, once Babylon is thrown down, then the final destruction of the godless will make way for the final destiny of the saints. And then truly it will be feasting time. It will be wedding feasting time. It will be party time forever. Yes, and then as well the saints will get their party clothes. Fine linen, bright and clean will be given them to wear, it says in verse 8. And why? what's fine linen? 
But John adds, fine, and it stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Oh, and notice you don't need to buy these clothes. They're given. God gives his saints their wedding clothes. He dresses them. He dresses them, it says, in the remarkable robes of grace and righteousness. You can't buy this stuff. You can't rent it. Only God can give it to you. And no wonder that after all of that, we hear a beatitude. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. By the way, there are seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation, just like there are seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Well, here you have number four. Blessed if you are invited to this wedding supper. What an invitation. And then it's also a little wonder that John gets a bit confused at this point. He falls down at the feet of the angel and the angel tells him that he's got it all wrong. Wrong address, wrong person. Don't worship me, worship God. Give him the praise. And so you see, beloved, when the dark days come, Remember that all of us who are in Christ are headed ultimately and surely towards the brightest day of all. The wedding of the Lamb is coming. John even writes about it in the past tense as if it's come already. So sure is it. So certain. We can be. Oh, and beloved, if there's any remaining doubt about all of this, then catch the next scene in heaven. It's like, you might say, a mighty confirmation and a glorious guarantee. John writes, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. Horses again. You may recall that we came across horses in chapter 6. There we met a white horse, a, a red horse, a black horse, a pale horse, sometimes called the four horses of the apocalypse. And, and back in chapter 6 of Revelation, each of these horses also had a rider, and each rider was also given something or, or holding something, whether a bow, a crown, a sword, a pair of scales, or the power even to kill. So is there a connection between the rider on the white horse in chapter 6 and the rider on the white horse here in chapter 19? I really don't know. And I'm not sure the scholars know either. But I, what I will say is that Jesus Christ, the rider here in chapter 19, is described in, in many words, notice, and in many details. First notice is majesty. He's called true and faithful, verse 11. That's the first thing that's said about him. More than anything else, this rider is faithful to his word and he's true to his promises. 
He's also called the Word of God. Verse 13. How were the heavens made? Was it not by this power? And he has a name on his robe and on his thigh, and it is this King of kings and Lord of lords. Truly, this rider is exalted, incomparable, and sovereign. So you need to notice his majesty. But notice also the mystery. Verse 12 states that he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He has a secret name. God the Father may know it, but we do not know it. In other words, there are still, you might say, some surprises in store for us when it comes to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We do not know everything yet about him, and perhaps we never will. But then if we need to take note of his majesty and his his mystery, also do not overlook his manner. His eyes are like blazing fire, his head as many crowns, his robe is dipped in blood, his mouth reveals a sword. What an awesome picture he represents. You see, here's the one who, who sees everything, who rules everything, who saves everyone whom he has determined, who defeats everything. His manner is great and glorious. Oh, and then we haven't even touched on his might. Verse 11 tells us that he's mighty to judge and to make war. Verse 12 tells us that he is mighty to rule and reign, for he wears many crowns. Verse 13 tells us that he is mighty to avenge, for he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Verse 14 tells us that he's mighty to lead his saints and to equip them. Verse 15 tells us that he's mighty to defeat every conceivable and possible enemy. You see, beloved, the picture that emerges is that there is no Savior like this Savior. Who else possesses all of this majesty and mystery and manner and might? Who is better able to win the great victory? Of God. Oh, and if, if you're still in doubt about the final outcome, then John gives us through the Spirit one last, final, absolute proof. And you find it in the verses 17 to 21. And notice, It's also about a supper. Only this is an entirely different supper. This is no dine and dash. This is a most gruesome supper. In verse 17, John describes an angel standing in the sun or in the blazing light of the sun. He's flying and he's crying loudly and he's also issuing an invitation to the birds. Come gather together for the great supper of God. Sounds good, right? Must be good, right? Well, not at all, for look what's on the menu. Verse 18 says, it's the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. 
This last supper is not a supper of celebration. It is a supper of annihilation. And notice too what follows in the verses 19 to 21. All those who make war against the rider on the white horse and his army are defeated. And their leaders, both the beast and the false prophet, are captured and thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And the remaining soldiers and leaders are killed by the sword that comes out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And the birds, they gorge themselves on the flesh that remains. What an awful, nightmarish, disgusting, revolting picture. What a gruesome supper. So why are we told about it? Why do we need to hear this? Well, I guess it's because we are kind of dense. We hear things over and over and over again, and sometimes we still don't get it. And so here what you have in the book of Revelation is it wants to impress emphatically and dramatically upon our minds and hearts and psyche the fact that really and truly it is God who has the final word in this world. No matter what the newspapers tell you, no matter what the political commentators say and all those talking heads God wants you to know that he will win the victory. And he will win it completely and utterly and finally and graphically through his son. John is saying the wicked are done. And so listen. Listen to him. Do not place your confidence in anyone else or anywhere else. The destruction of the godless is a fact. The triumphs of the Lamb is sure and certain. Make your way to the right supper. Dine at the right address. Thank God for the invitation. For blessed, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.